This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. I'm sure now everybody's quite well aware that today is well TB day, tuberculosis, and we just want to see how far we have come in terms of that and uh, some of the developments, particularly at a research level and trying to really capture um, our understanding of TB prevalence. And of course, we will be talking to Dr. Emily Wong uh, insofar as the TB, TB prevalence survey that was published last week, a first of its kind in the country. So that is an important, important development from a research point of view and just making sure that we are not shooting in the dark insofar as dealing with the question of tuberculosis in our country. I also have, of course, uh, Dr. Angelique Kutsia, who will join this conversation. Uh, she is, of course, said uh, with the South African Medical Association as its chairperson and just uh, to take us through where we are as a country in the fight against a TB. I will be welcoming my guests uh, just now. Dr. Kutsia, good morning and welcome to Power Talk. Good morning and a good morning to all your listeners out there. Thank you for making the time. Dr. Wong, good morning and welcome to Power Talk. Good morning. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for joining us. I mean, Dr. Kutia, perhaps let me start with you. Insofar as, I mean, if we take a global picture of our country and where we are in the fight against tuberculosis, I mean, we are hearing activists making demands that uh, early detection still should be our cardinal uh, tool in the fight against TB. Uh, have we made enough strides in this area? Are you happy with where we are? Or we could be doing uh, much better insofar as the fight against TB is concerned? Um, from Soma's side, we could do much better. Mm. Um, we, we were quite, um, uh, you know, we were treating the TB and then COVID came. Mm. And once COVID came, um, it, was all, it was a struggle before COVID came. But once COVID came, um, a lot of patients that attend the clinics um, getting their uh, chronic medication. Yeah. Then the, the diagnosis of newly pa- newly diagnosed TB patients also um, fell through the cracks. Now, the problem with this is because South Africa has a very high prevalence of TB infections. It's, it's one of the highest in the world in terms of real numbers and rates. Mm. So, so the problem now is that people, young people, children, adolescents, household contacts of uh, cases of active TB, people living with HIV, and then also healthcare workers yes. are now at particularly at a very high risk of TB infections. Mm. And um, I'm not even talking about our urban populations, yes. especially in the men, um, high, very high risk of, 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 of um, TB. And we're not going to win this fight um, at the current rate. And I think, Dr. Kutia, perhaps let's take a step back. I mean, you talk about how COVID-19 really affected, I mean, uh, treatment of TB, of course, uh, also affected diagnosis, particularly when we're at the levels where people were restricted in terms of movement. We saw a similar, I mean, uh, discussion happening with the fight against HIV in our country in so far as being able to test people, people being able to present early in the institutions where they should be getting the necessary care. Perhaps let us talk about, I mean,
mean, the dangers of not being able to identify uh, people early who have TB and them being treated at home by people who are unaware that they are treating a TB patient and just also perhaps talk us through um, and remind us, how is it that we get to contract TB as people? So um, TB is a, um, is a um, bacterial infection um, that you um, can get um, if you don't have immunity against the mycobacterium tuberculosis. Uh, all children, when they're born, need to be vaccinated mm. against um, TB. So it can be also that you fall through or it can be that your immune system doesn't last. And then you are living with someone in a very small in, uh, room who's got um, TB, uh, with poor ventilation, um, there's not enough sanitation, hand wash, mask, uh, normal um, preventative type of things. Mm. What then happens is your immune system is going down, especially if you are suffering from TB, uh, not TB, uh, HIV, you, and then con- contract it much easier. Yeah. I need to say to you what is important is that the preventative treatment of TB um, is a community with, with wide intervention in, in our South African context. And if we can do preventing of TB infection mm. or, or stop the progression to active TB, then the, the, the community benefit yes. would be enormous. And in reducing your TB transmission. So just for interesting site, in 2019, TB preventative treatment was initiated in about um, 69% of HIV-positive people mm. newly enrolled in care, and then 56% of children aged younger than five with household contacts of active TB. So it, it, it showed a great improvement yeah. to preventative over the years, but now... This last year, I'm, I'm afraid that we have fallback. Yeah, I think let me bring uh, Dr. Wong in that particular uh, line that you have developed, uh, Dr. Kutsi. I mean, Dr. Wong, you have done and published uh, this study as the uh, research institute uh, down there in, in Durban. I mean, uh, first of its kind, and you note that it is very, very difficult and quite costly to understand issues of prevalence insofar as uh, TB is concerned. Just walk us through some of these difficulties, and of course, this being the first of its kind, almost becomes the baseline study um, in the understanding of prevalence of TB in our country. Thank you. Um, You are right that this first-of-its-kind TB prevalence survey adds a huge amount of information to what we know about TB. I would just like to clarify that I um, am not one of the authors of this study. This study was done by the South Africa Medical Research Council the Human Sciences Research Council, and the National Institute for Communicable Diseases on behalf of the National Department of Health. Mm. But undoubtedly, the rich information that it provides really help us to understand the full picture of TB in the country to a much higher level. Yes. What it does in the TB prevalence survey is that they randomly sample the entire nation in all provinces. Yes. And you go testing everyone for TB. So as Dr. Kutzea was saying, sometimes um, even people who might be having some symptoms or might be at risk for various reasons may not feel sick enough to go get tested. So in the TB prevalence survey, you actually go out and test 
mm. everyone who's in the study. Mm. And this allows um, us to find out a lot more about what's truly going on in the community. I mean, Dr. Wong, uh, the study showing that in 2018 we were at about 737 uh, uh, cases per 100,000 population. I mean, what is the significance of of, of that? I mean, does this uh, make us be worried? And uh, should we probably be looking at a follow-up study, particularly given what Dr. Kutsia was uh, raising about the impact of COVID-19, which, of course, this study predates that? Yeah. So we definitely should be concerned and focused on tuberculosis. Um, just to put it in perspective for the listeners, in the year before COVID hit, so in 2019, mm. TB caused 58,000 deaths in South Africa. To put that in perspective, since the beginning of the COVID epidemic, COVID has caused 55,000 deaths in South Mm. Africa. So every year, TB is killing as many people as COVID has killed since the beginning of the pandemic. Mm. And if you think about it, we just haven't brought the level of attention, funding, focus to fighting TB as we do to fighting COVID in the last year. And I mean, Dr. Wong, and uh, what is it that makes people, I mean, uh, the study indicating that, you know, prevalence peaks between the ages of 35 and 44, and of course on adults that are older than 65, why is it that these age groups seem vulnerable uh, to contraction of TB? So that's a really interesting question. And the truth is we don't know the full answers. As Dr. Kutzea alluded to before, um, we think that, you know, different people are differently exposed to TB. Some of that, it's an airborne disease, as was mentioned. And Mm. so I think we can all understand better now in the COVID-19 era than maybe we did before what it means when a disease is transmitted in the air. It means that in our own homes, we're exposed to the, we share the air with other people who live with us, but also in places like taxis or shops or other places that may not be well ventilated, we share air with lots of people. So people are probably frequently exposed to tuberculosis. Um, And then it's a question of how the immune system reacts and either controls the infection or loses control of the infection. And TB is, from a researcher's perspective, from a scientific perspective, it's Mm. a complex disease. and it can be, therefore, hard to diagnose and, and to understand what a given person's state of TB infection is. Um, there's still a lot more science that needs to be done to understand uh, questions like you're asking about why certain age groups are affected. Yeah, I'm in conversation with Dr. Emily Wong and Dr. Angelique Kutsia, uh, just of course because today is World Tuberculosis Day, but just understanding where are we as a country in the fight against TB, and of course if you've got a story or a question to put to them, that line is 0861-987-000. Dr. Kutsia, if we look at uh, the spread of treatment uptake um, in our country, geographically, are there pockets that should worry us more insofar as prevalence of TB is concerned? No. Um, again, uh, remember what Dr. Wong just said now. 
we need to look at um, the ventilation. So where places where people live very close together, a lot of people in a small dwelling. So, um, you know, it's your poorer um, areas. Also remember your um, immigrants coming into the country not always being vaccinated against mm. um, TB. Uh, so, so they don't have always immune, uh, you know, good immunity against the TB. So they can go, they can get it going into these poorer settlements uh, where a lot of people stay close together and spread the, the the bacteria in that way. The other thing that is important is this is like the mines and the hostels yeah. where people again um, is in close uh, proximity of each other. That's places what that one needs to look very well after and make sure that those people are obviously And talking about this issue of vaccination for TB or against TB, um, what is the coverage like, I mean, in terms of the uh, newborns? Are we satisfied that we have a high level of coverage in our country and this is administered um, at, at, the, at the point of birth or during the frequent well, the checkups? Okay, so the coverage for, for newborns born in a hospital in South Africa Yes. will be uh, quite good. The uptake will be good because they will not um, uh, let the child go out um, without being vaccinated or getting the TB mm. um, uh, 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 tuberculosis um, vaccination. So that's one thing. But if you, if you are born at home, if you give birth to your child at home in an informal settlement and, mm. and you do not um, take the child to a clinic, um, it will be the same. The child's normal immunizations will not take place. And then the child also would not be um, vaccinated, and that child can get extremely sick and yeah. ill, uh, if it, especially if that child has been born to you know an, an HIV positive, because we know that your immune system is is down, and this is people who are highly susceptible of getting TB. Mm. Let me just take Mabudi, who joins us on the line. Mabudi, good morning. Welcome to Power Talk. Morning to everyone, Lukona. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Uh, my question, Lukona, is uh, I hear that they say um, a TB is also like a COVID. Mabudi? Hello? Yeah, okay, I've got you back on the line. Yes. Yeah, they say the uh, TB is a airborne disease. Mm. So why are we not wearing masks in our homes like as mm. we do in the COVID 19 mm. virus? Yeah. Because mm. it's the airborne. Yeah. And it's been there for a very long, long time. Mm. Thank you very much. That's okay. my question. Uh, thank you yeah. very much. Thank, uh, you. thank you very much, Mabuti. I mean, uh, uh, Dr. Wong, Mabuti raises something that I mean was starting to trigger in my mind as you were talking. Because, I mean, uh, it seems as if if we have this many challenges as a country, we need to really adapt to those, those challenges in order to fight them better. And perhaps this is indeed pointing towards, because we have this study that points to high prevalence levels from that survey, perhaps we need to be thinking of uh, uh, being permanent with the masks uh, in the foreseeable future. And, of course, without profiling people per se, uh, though we are aware of the conditions, uh, socio-economic dimensions that are involved insofar as TB uh, concentration is concerned, but that uh, we might uh, be motivating people to uh, wear the masks as frequent as possible and of course create spaces for greater hygiene as we have been doing and government has been intervening to ensure those spaces uh, in the fight against COVID-19. Absolutely. It's a wonderful question and I think 
you know, COVID-19 has been devastating in its impact on tuberculosis in the nation, as we've discussed, but there probably are some positives and it's a good thing to look for them. Mm. I think all of us have learned a lot about how an infection can impact society, economically, socially. And I think your listener is completely right that we just have not been giving that level of attention to tuberculosis, but it is absolutely as devastating and it's been with us for a long time. So, you know, and we also all have realized that some power to protect ourselves Mm. is in the small choices that we make every day. And of course, yes. Yeah, I, I think the idea of, you know, wearing masks is, is something that we should consider, especially if we have to go into high-risk spaces um, going forward. But something I'd really like to emphasize to your listeners and to all of us, in the TV field, we've been calling for ventilation mm. for decades. And for reasons that I don't fully understand, that message has never been completely embraced. I mean, sometimes it's security concerns, You know, but even in the hospitals, we say throw open the windows to improve airflow in any spaces, throw open the windows. And that has not been taken up. But hopefully now that is something that we can all look at. If you have to be in an enclosed space with other people, we are blessed in this country to have such a beautiful climate. It so frequently is possible to open the windows. And we should really all be thinking about that in, fact, that in our leads, daily lives. That, that leads me to a question I wanted to put to you to say, I mean, this data that we now have, I mean, there's been a great deal of effort placed in uh, making sure that this survey comes to life. Uh, what should it mean for the policymakers and our decision makers insofar as tackling uh, the fight against TB? Thank you for that question. So one of the key findings to come out of the TB government survey are... First of all, that many of the people who were found to have TB actually didn't have the classic classic symptoms Mm. that we associate with TB, and that is cough, chronic cough that goes on for more than two weeks, weight loss, fevers, and night sweats. So our medical system has actually been doing a better job in recent years of screening people for those symptoms. Mm. You might have had the experience of going in to get your blood pressure checked but someone starts to ask you, have you been coughing? And that's part of a very good effort to increase TB screening. But what the results of the prevalence survey tell us is that may not be enough to actually eradicate TB from our country. We're going to have to start taking diagnosis outside of the clinics and going to some of these high-risk population areas people who are at risk, maybe they're a contact of someone who's had TB, Mm. maybe they work in a high-risk area. We have to go out and actively screen them. And the WHO just today has released new guidance to countries for how to do this. Mm. There are some exciting new technologies, but we need, on the scientific front, we need even better, simpler tests to allow us to find people who may have very early stages of TB that aren't yet as symptomatic as the late stages can be. So government is very invested in this question. Of course, they have a lot of health issues as high priority, but TB mustn't fall off the radar. And we do need to push 
to invest in TV screening that actually addresses the nature of the infection in our communities. Absolutely. I mean, Dr. Wong, it's as if you uh, read the question that I have next for Dr. <laughs> Kutsia, because I wanted Dr. Kutsia to ask, I mean, when it comes to screening, how innovative are we becoming in so far as making sure we create ease of screening and accessibility of screening? And I'm asking particularly on the back of what uh, Dr. Wong says, some people don't present the classic symptoms. I mean, uh, at some point, I, my brother, some years ago, uh, just saw this, uh, you know, lymph nodes developing and then uh, he became bothered when they got larger and then it ended up being diagnosed as lymph node tuberculosis. And all I knew at the time was that people with TB generally just cough. But then now I learned something about lymph node uh, TB at that particular time. How, how how well are we doing to educate people to understand various symptoms and different TB types? Um, a very important question. I think that um, there's still a lot of uncertainties out there. I, uh, you know, many years ago, there were much better TB uh, or district nurses going to the homes and mm. um, educating the patients and it was taken away. And then recently it started again um, because this is how you you you, con- you 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 look for your contacts. You go out mm. and you visit the homes. That's extremely important. So the problem is with TB is um, it's not as that easy to identify, and it's always with a history. Always the history of the coughing, um, the sweating at night, yeah. the losing of weight and fever. But you know, people that is such a common type of, 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 of the, uh, uh, symptoms so that people will say yes and they don't have TB. So you also need to do your TB x-rays, you need to do your sputum, and then you do, need to do your tuberculin test um, and see what happens. So it's actually three type of tests that you need to do, mm. and it's not always that easy. And, um, you know, even uh, um, in for us in the private sector, we need to send our patients public sector clinics to for for education to make sure um, um, pick it up um, you can even if, if you're very unsure but clinically you are suspected but you can't pick it up you can do a bronchoscope where you mm. uh, you know sedate the patient go and take a sample in the lung to also try to help you but we also know that patients with um, HIV are 19 times more likely to to get a TB uh, we know that children under five years um, also a problem, especially if they have not been vaccinated. Mm. And there's a lot of things around. So you look at the history around what is happening, yeah. and 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 then you you identify your high risk patient. Yeah. Also, I just want to make one comment on the masks. It yes. is important that with TB, you unfortunately need to wear an N95 mask. It's a different mask. That's the most expensive mask. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's the only mask, actually, that will help you, protect you against um, getting TB. And not just relying on cloth else. masks and so on. Yeah. Uh, Doc, let, no, me just, going to work. let me just quickly fit in Miesha. Miesha, good morning. You know that you want your news at 11, so quick, straight to the point. I will be. And uh, morning, and to the doctor. My question is, Doc, have we ever made a calculation on what TB costs us as a nation? Firstly, in the treatment, and secondly, in people not waking as they have to stay home because some of it is prolonged treatment. And also the fact that it is also the greatest killer that affects you when you are HIV positive. And if that is the case, we make out how much it costs us. Why haven't we been 
as active, as proactive as we are on treatment of TB and new medicines and people in the laboratory as we are of this pandemic, which is the coronavirus. Thank you so much, uh, Miesha. Dr. Wong, I will, I'll put that to you. And of course, just to say, indeed, Miesha is raising an important question. At times, we have seen an instance where there's emergency when a drug-resistant TB emerges, uh, not necessarily just with TB itself uh, on, the norm, on the day-to-day. You, you are spot on. You are spot on. We have under-invested as a globe in TB, and you said it so well. But I'm just going to give you one stat mm. to keep in mind. The world globally in the last one year has invested 104 billion U.S. dollars in COVID. 104 mm. billion. For tuberculosis, the world invested $1 billion. Billion dollars, mm. so one percent of that between 2009 and 2019. No, so clearly there's a huge gap, and this is a disease that affects poor people. And we must advocate for more investment in treatment and more investment in science, and probably more investment in research as well. Dr. Wong, Absolutely. Dr. Kutsia, thank you so much for joining me here on Power Talk. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay, that brings our conversation on the World TB Day to an end. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.